me pray one more time. God, uh, I thank you for waking people up on Daylight Savings, Father. I thank you for getting people out here, Father. I thank you for, Father, our First Impressions team that uh, was delighted to welcome people in in the parking lot, Father. I thank you, Father, for the guest experience team, Father. I thank you for other churches meeting in Tom's River right now, Father. I thank you that Vital is celebrating their five years as a church, Father. That's no small thing. Thank you for the work that you're doing in and through Tom's River. Father, this is a Sunday, Father, that we become expectant uh, because, Father, you move every Sunday. You move where, where your Holy Spirit moves. And so, Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would move mightily today like he has for the last year and a week or two. Uh, we love you, Jesus. In your name, amen. I, uh, well, I've, I've shared this before, but as I share it again, try to walk in my boots for a second. You're, uh, you're 32 or so at the time. You know how to run a youth ministry. You have uh, a wife, three kids, and uh, they, this church comes and says, hey, we're packing out, and we want to send you to Tom's River to start a new church. You don't know how to start a church. You don't know how to preach. You don't know how to lead a church. You know how to hang out with kids and play dodgeball. And they say, we're going to give you 100 people. You're going to be their leader. We're going to give you over $200,000. You're 32 years old. You don't have a clue what to do. You're used to working with a $10,000 youth budget. You go up to New Hampshire and you meet with a church. They don't know you at all. And you're like, yo, can you give me $50,000? And they say yes. <laughs> All of a sudden, you, you have about a $300,000 budget to, to start this church. You have, you're, you're leaving the comfort of a well-established church, a well-established ministry. You're leaving it all to go into Tom's River in this great unknown. Walk in my boots for a second. Can you feel the pressure? You have an opportunity like no other church planner has ever had in their lives. <laughs> And I kept praying, God, I don't want to be the one to screw this up. And so I sat one day in, in a church service in Manchester, New Hampshire, where my parents go to church. The worship was powerful. My wife is standing next to me singing like an angel. And here I am, seated, da seated down in, 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 in my seat, and, and I just started weeping. Because I felt the way of the world, that we were about to start this thing, we were about to launch this thing, and the way of the world, the pressure, the pressure, the pressure, as I was about to embark on mission, purpose, all those things, pressure, pressure, pressure. And I just felt the voice of God saying, Jason, decide now. Who's going to get the credit? Who's going to get the glory? If you keep making this about you, you're going to fail until you realize this is all about me. This is about my name. Make me the center of this. Make me who's going to get the glory. And so I made the decision right then and there to say that my life of meaning and purpose was going to be centered around the name of Jesus. And perhaps as we enter into the the continue the series on mission and purpose, perhaps that's a decision that many of us need to make right in this moment. Who is this, who is this all about? Is it about me or is it about Jesus? If you're born with purpose, you tend to live with purpose. And so we're going we're gonna to look a little bit at John the Baptist today. And here's a dude. Uh, he's the, uh, I'm going to drop something, the original 
OG, the original gangster. Have you guys heard that new term? That all the, uh, well, they're not even millennials anymore. They're younger than that. Uh, they're dropping. The original gangster, John the Baptist. He was born with purpose. He's, he's not even a thing yet, but the angel comes to Zechariah, his dad. Zechariah is a priest. And he comes to Zechariah. He's like, yo, you're going to be with child. It's this miraculous thing. And he says he's going to be the forerunner to Jesus. He's, he's going to make ready the people for the Messiah. Like, that's his job. That's ministry. That's purpose. That's mission. Make people ready for the coming Messiah. Crazy. And then baby happens. John is born. Zechariah was mute for his disobedience. And some things happen. He says, no, you're going to name him John. And he's, he's going to do this. He's going to be the forerunner to Jesus. He was, mission, purpose was, was instilled upon him from the very, very beginning. And so a mission embraced is a mission lived out. We're going to look at John the Baptist living out his, his mission, something that was instilled upon him and embraced from him from the very beginning. And something that we will learn from John the Baptist is the greatest purpose you and I can ever live out is the purpose God has for your life and for my life. So we're going to pick up in Luke chapter 3, and, and, and this is how it starts off. As the people were ex in expectation. As the people were in expectation and were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ. John answered them all, saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming. The strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. H have, have you been there where, where you're trying to live out mission, you're trying to live out purpose, and, and people are putting expectations on you, and the weight of the world seems like it's caving in as expectation, expectation. Maybe you're a new mom, and, and, you, and you jumped on Facebook for some parenting advice. Silly, never do that. Because what you were expecting with two or three comments, all of a sudden you have expectation. You, this is how you should parent. Are you a teacher? Maybe it's your first year as, on the job and you have other, other teachers putting their expectations on you. This is how you should do it. Maybe you're a pastor and you have a lot of people freely giving you advice on how to pastor. Expectation. Expectation. And that breeds pressure. That breeds like where you just want to give up when, when you just need to put one expectation on your life and what Jesus expects of us. And so you have these people that go to John with this expectation. Might he be the Christ, the Messiah? If only they knew they were putting the expectation in the wrong place. Jesus was going to come out of, would come out of the line of David. The tribe of Judah. John the Baptist is from a priestly family. He's from the tribe of Levi. That may not make much sense, but here's what you can know from that. If the people knew the Bible, they would know John can't be the Messiah. And so they were putting their expectations in the wrong place. Perhaps you and I are not finding fulfillment in our mission and our purpose because we're going to the wrong place to find that fulfillment. They could have known that it wouldn't be John. But here's John. He has a crowd growing. And there's a group, a large group of people. Might you be the Messiah? If 
you were going to walk in John's sandals, do you feel pressure? Do you feel the weight of that? And so because John knew his purpose, his mission, he was able to run his race and throw off the potential of sin. I'm not going to let pride ear its ugly head in my life. I'm going to say, no, someone better and greater than I is coming. This isn't about me, it's about Jesus Christ. And that's the big thought for us this morning, is that Jesus is unmatched. There is no one like him, there will never be anyone like him. He is the end-all, be-all. Jesus is unmatched. And so as John is living out his mission, his purpose, the reality of all that, he was able to be completely honest with him and say, I'm fine being the lesser man. I'm fine giving all glory, honor, credit to Jesus Christ because it's all about him. He knew his mission and his purpose. And so it was so easy for him to say, he must become greater, I must become less. This is all about Jesus. John knew that there would be a lot of voices in his life telling him how to live. But there's only one voice that matters when it all is said and done. He, like us, had one job, lift the name of Jesus. So what does this have to do with mission? What does this have to do with purpose? This unmatched nature of Jesus. When we see someone as unmatched, it's easier to say, stay focused when we know it's all about them. It's a lot easier to fill your calling when you know the only one able to put a calling on your life. It's a lot easier to surrender your life to someone that you see as unmatched. And John was able to live that out and quickly say, this is all about Jesus. If you make your life all about yourself, you will find moments of happiness, but you will not live a life of joy. I, like I said last week, I went to Billy Graham's uh, thing, uh, not really a funeral, but his thing in D.C., and, and Ro Paul Ryan, Speaker of the House Ryan, said, said, a man of this, of Billy Graham, a man made great not by who he was, but by who he served with all of his heart and all of his soul and all of his mind. Well, there's a man that lives with great purpose, great meaning, when he can die, and the speaker of the house is saying, this isn't about Billy, this is about the God in which he serves. And because the Spirit of God lived through Billy and lives through us, the same results could happen, couldn't they? So why is Jesus unmatched? Why is he worth selfless love? Why, why should we live with a sense of mission and purpose and have it all be wrapped up in Jesus? The first thing that we'll see today is that his methods are unmatched. The scripture will continue. It will say, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit in fire in, in 316. That the Messiah's ministry was far superior than John the Baptist. There are many rabbis, there are many religious leaders that were dunking people in and out of the water. John the Baptist wasn't necessarily different in that. But he's saying, here comes one, a Messiah whose ministry is unmatched with mine. Because, yes, there was a cleansing, a cleaning element to, to baptizing people and bringing them up out of the water. That's how baptism used to be. But John is saying, the Holy Spirit, Jesus is, gonna, is going to come, and he's going to provide a much greater baptism. This isn't, baptism is no longer going to be for your cleansing, because Jesus is your cleansing. Jesus is your forgiveness. He is going to, if you accept him as Lord and Savior, he's going to indwell you with the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and you will be made new. You will be forgiven. You will be made perfect in Jesus. His baptism is far greater than what I'm able to do. 
And so, yes, we baptize people, but we do it in accordance with Scripture where no longer is it for forgiveness of sin. We baptize people as a symbolic act. You place your faith in Jesus Christ. You say, my life is tied in Jesus. My life is all about Jesus. And so, yes, I'm going to willingly make a public declaration to say that I was dead under the water. I'm made alive through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, I'm going to come up out of the water. It's a symbolic act and a public declaration. No longer does baptism save a person. It's a symbolic act. And so the baptism of Jesus is far superior. It changes everything. His methods are unmatched. And we have experienced controversy over baptism. I was sitting in, in my coffee shop and, and I'm sitting there just trying to work on, work on the sermon. And somebody, somebody comes in and, like, sees me and gets, like, a peculiar little smirk on, on their face and comes, beelines it right for my table, sits down. And I'm like, hi, who are you? I'm just trying to work. And for the next 45 minutes, I'm thinking in my head, how the heck can I get out of this conversation? Because what happened was this individual was, was, was witnessing to somebody. And we had the tenacity to baptize them. And that this person was able to attend our baptism experience and uh, chose not to because the person that we baptized was, in, in his definition, still in sin. And so in his definition, by his own saying, he said, we put somebody in the water, we put a sinner in the water, we pulled them out of the water, and then... That person just walked away a wet sinner. And they kept saying, they kept drilling this home and, and sin, 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 sin. And I, I said, well, by your definition, then the only time we can ever do a baptism is when we're in heaven. When all of Christians are brought to heaven and made perfect in heaven. Yes, our standing before God is perfection. But here on earth, we're every day trying to be more and more like Jesus. So what I did was I baptized somebody that was still struggling with sin and said, I believe in Jesus and I'm going to let the Holy Spirit work through my life. And I am not apologetic for that. Because I have never baptized an earthly perfect person. And so... His methods are unmatched, and so ours might be unmatched. Our methods might look different. For us, yes, we clean toilets. We want to do anything short of sin to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. He lived out his mission. It looked different. So sometimes our method, our mission is going to look different. We're not called to be like other churches. They're doing their job, and that's good. We applaud them. We, play, we pray for vital. Keep going. We pray for the Assembly of God Church. Keep going. Run your race, and we will run our race. And we're not in competition. We're just trying to all build the kingdom of God. And so it might look different, and that doesn't have to be bad. Jesus and John the Baptist would take on the religious constituency, and so sometimes we will too. Jesus is unmatched. His methods are unmatched. But then, then third, secondly, I guess, whatever, his, his judgment is unmatched. John brings to light what this fire terminology is talking about. He says his winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the 
threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn and put the shaft, uh, 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 he'll burn with unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations, he preached good news to the people. Here's, here's the good news that he's talking about. He uses this wheat illustration, which I am not really a farmer. I love the Marriott's. Like, I don't know anything about camp, like any of that type of stuff. Like, but good. Like, if you're into that hard work, good, because I like eating at a coffee shop and stuff. So, but he talks about this wheat stuff. He's saying when you're, when you're getting the grain that there's some parts of it that's good and there's some parts of it that's bad. There's some that is worthless and there's some that has value. And he's using that illustration with them to say when, when you get in there with your, with your pitchfork of sorts that you're going to throw the worthless crud into the fire to be judged. And you're going to keep the good stuff and it has value and purpose. He's talking about Messiah and how he's going to come with a far superior judgment. If you don't know bad news, you can't really know good news because then all you know is news. If you don't tell people what they are saved from, they'll never know what they're saved for. He brings out this, this judgment because people need to understand judgment so they can understand mercy. You can't know mercy if you don't understand judgment. And so he calls it good news. And for John the Baptist, it's unmatched. Because John the Baptist, he's a human like you and I are human. I don't know Ava's thoughts. I don't know her motives, her intentions. I can't be God in her life. I can't bring judgment on people like that when, when I am so limited. Jesus knows all things. He knows what is done in the dark, what is done in the secret. He knows motives. He knows intentions. And so he's able to bring a judgment that is far superior than anything that we could do. And so John the Baptist declares this and calls it good news. Because where there is eternal punishment, there is eternal salvation. And for some of us, this just got real heavy. It doesn't have to be heavy. It is good news to know that I don't have to be part of the worthless thrown aside. That because of faith in Jesus Christ, I have eternal value and he invites me into heaven and paradise with him. One day every knee will bow for you and I. We choose to do so here on earth. <laughs> My son uh, did some stuff this week and... Uh, lack some gratitude and, and whatnot, and so we, we took away the tablet. If you're a parent and you take away the tablet, it's like dropping, like it's a mic drop of sorts, like, ah. And uh, so we took away the tablet and TV. And uh, what happened, though, we took it away for like three days, I think. And what happened was he, he changed, like turned the leaf, if you will, turned the page or whatever, and uh, changed and did some really awesome things. He, he wrote this letter, and, and he just for two days, we just saw like a completely different son. And... Uh, it was awesome. And so what we were able to do is we say, buddy, you're supposed to get TV and tablet back tomorrow. But, dude, we see a huge change in you right away, and we appreciate that. And so you can, you can start using your tablet again. You can start watching TV again. Because he understood judgment, he was able to understand mercy. When we talk, we have an, an addiction part of our society. And even just 
sinners in general, people that struggle with sin, behind people with addiction is sometimes an enabler, oftentimes an enabler. Somebody that doesn't want them to understand consequences. Somebody that wants to shield them from consequences. Sometimes change happens when we start to understand the consequences and the weight of our wrong and our actions. And so I have to say something tough to us today, Wellspring Church. We value captivating environments. Because we want people, to, we want to go out into the community, clean people's toilets, march in different parades. And aren't we thankful we didn't march in the St. Patty's Day Parade yesterday? Like, it was wicked cold. And, uh, and so, like, we do things like that. And, and we want to invite people in. We want to pray for one and invite people in. And when they get here, we want people to say yes to a relationship with Jesus. And so we value captivating environments that starts in the parking lot, that goes into the children's ministry, that's here with the aisle host, that's on your way out. All of it, we want it to be captivating because we want to point you to Jesus Christ. And we are struggling with that. We have people working in the children's ministry that have not had a day off for months. We have people that are leading worship on Thursday nights that the only time they've gotten a break was when they were sick. That can't be. And so we are going to have to forego with Thursday nights if we don't see people living the mission with us. And that's a hard reality, and that sucks to say. But maybe it's time for some of us to start getting involved in and helping us live with mission and purpose. And so that's my challenge today. Help us love the one by getting involved. We had three new volunteers this morning, and it made the world of difference. Clap for those three volunteers. We had one person that couldn't make it, so they sent a replacement. Thank God for the replacement. Jesus was, uh, John was the forerunner to Jesus, and he said hard things, but it's good news. Because good news of damnation, well, the good part is that Jesus allows for it not to be the case. So John delivered it with clarity, and so his Christ's message was unmatched. His, his motives, his methods were unmatched, all of it. His judgment is unmatched, and so now it comes time where we get to respond. How do you respond to what Jesus has to say? And so this decision, it comes with this quick little two-sentence two uh, illustration or story from John's life. He says, but Herod the Tetrarch, uh, who, had, who had been reproved by him uh, for Herodias, his brother's wife, and for all the evil things that Herod had done, added this to them all. He locked John up for prison. Now this is where the Bible gets maybe slightly a little scandalous. Because if you're thinking about what this is said, if you know the, the history behind it, this might be a time if you have like a four-year-old kid to earmuff them for a second. Herod was traveling through the country, met up with his brother, fell in love with his brother's wife, and started an affair. And the weird relationship dynamics of it all was that he was also having an affair with what would be his niece. Like, it was a disgusting situation. And because John was living with mission, because he was willing to say hard things, he, he spoke up against Herod. He's like, hey, dude, that's not good. <laughs> Herod didn't like it and threw him in jail. But then Herod liked the party, had a party, so people got drunk. He was like, oh, I like that girl. She's dancing and stuff. And, and he's like, I'll give you anything you want up to half the kingdom. And, and she consults with her mom, and she's like, okay, uh, give me John the, head, uh, John the Baptist's head on a platter. What? So there John is, 
sitting in jail one night because some drunken party made some drunken claim. He was beheaded and brought to this girl. John Herod had the opportunity to respond. And how he chose to respond was to deny accountability, to eliminate the threat, eliminate what's making me uncomfortable. If only he would have embraced John's message, the liberation that Jesus offers you and I, the forgiveness to say you respond to Jesus by, by saying, yes, my life deserves eternal damnation. I have not done it. I have not been well. But, but praise God. Praise God that he lived perfectly and offers me forgiveness so I don't have to face eternal consequences. The only appropriate response to forgiveness is to respond by taking it. John the, or Herod did not do that. Herod chose to rid himself of that accountability. How you and I respond says what we believe about the thing that we're responding to, whether we say it's a bunch of garbage or whether it might be, might be true. Lori, come up here for a second. Yeah, yeah, you, Lori, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just needed somebody that looks like a doctor. So, uh, yeah, seriously, yeah. Uh, all right, just stand right there. You don't really have to say or do anything. I just need to tell a quick story, but I needed a doctor up here. So, uh, there's Lori. And uh, so that, stand right, stand right here, please. Yeah, please. I'll, I'll be the patient. Uh, you can eat. Don't, no, don't. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's rude. Well, no. Oh, uh, that's true. Yeah, okay. And uh, so then one day I was, I was on, like, a, a table like this with a doctor with the paper and stuff. And, uh, and, and so in comes the doctor. And I was having some heart complications. And uh, I couldn't really sleep. Ava was nervous for me because she was like, you don't, dude, you, like, you, you stop breathing for, like, five seconds at a time when you're sleeping, sleep apnea. And so I was like, Oh, like, I'm just really stressed and whatnot. So I went to the doctor, and, uh, and I had to run on, like, a treadmill and stuff before I had a Fitbit. <laughs> and, uh, and, and so uh, and he just, the doctor comes in after looking at all the results and says, you have a choice to make. You can make changes yourself, or you can be on medicine, or you can live with that machine with, like, all the vents and airs and whatnot every single night. That did not sound fun to me. He's like... Dude, I, like, you weigh 275 pounds. You either need to make a change or you need to embrace the reality of your current situation. I put the doctor in a position of having to say hard things. The doctor wasn't being a jerk. The doctor was living out his, her purpose, her mission by telling me what he signed up for. I'm going to look at people's results. I'm going to look at what's before me and tell people as it is. I'm not going to sugarcoat it because that's not good for them. He told me exactly what I needed to hear, and it kicked me in the pants and said, I don't want to die, and I don't want to pay a lot of money for medicine because I'm cheap as anything, so I'm going to make the needed changes. And I'm thankful for the doctor that said hard things to me because that's exactly what I needed to hear. Thank you, Lori. Give Lori a round of applause for being. You guys can trust Lori. She's a doctor. <laughs> Speaking the truth at times is hard, but it can be seen as good because it's needed. Jesus is unmatched. His methods are unmatched. His judgment is unmatched, and it calls for us to respond. 
We want to live with mission. We want to live with purpose. We need to make life all about Jesus Christ. And when we do that, here are three quick little things that we need to embrace as we live a life of mission and a life of purpose. We should not fear being different. You want, like, you're going to look at this in life groups. Y'all should be in a life group this week. Uh, life groups are going to look at this section where John the Baptist is described as a man that wore camel's clothing, ate a bunch of bugs, was probably a pretty smelly person. He was, by definition, different. If he lived in our culture today, y'all would blow him up on social media. He was different. But he, he, he didn't stand for what everybody else stood for. He was okay with being different because he wanted to live with purpose and for meaning. And that required him to be different. You can't change a culture if you're like the culture. You can't expect big changes in a culture if you're not willing to do things that are different. Big changes require big changes. The second thing is John the Baptist learned to be respected. He learned to say the hard things. He learned to say the good and the bad. It wasn't just only grace and no judgment. Never talk about the blood of Jesus. Oh, no. We talk about the blood of Jesus and forgiveness because we need that. So John the Baptist, if you're going to be a person that lives on mission, you share the complete message. Confront sin and declare grace. The last thing that we can learn from John the Baptist is that we need to weigh the consequences. People don't like change, especially if they're benefiting from status quo. You might suffer a loss of popularity, a loss of life, a loss of freedom, a loss of reputation. But is not Jesus worth it? Telling people what they need to hear when they don't necessarily want to hear it because it's for their best interest. Hardship is inevitable if we're going to live on pur with purpose. It's true for Jesus. It's true for us. So are you willing to uh, count the cost and, and understand that it might lead to John the Baptist? He was beheaded, shameless. One night he's sitting in jail and then he's beheaded. But the applause that he must have got in heaven, I don't think Jesus would, I don't think John would have changed anything. Jesus would say to him, he's a hero. No, no one's been greater than John the Baptist. I hope Jesus could say that of my life. So this week, we've experienced, uh, you know those people online that say stupid stuff? We call them trolls. We've had some people trolling us. Like we, we, like we announced tacos for Easter. Because everybody loves Jesus and tacos, and so we just wanted to put the two together. And online, somebody had the tenacity to say, to post a little meme and say, in essence, what was communicated through it was we must not be a saved church. We must not care about Jesus. No! We want people to come in so they can hear about the message of Jesus, and so we're going to offer them tacos. Oh, my goodness. People that like tacos can hear about Jesus. Perhaps that's what's wrong with the American society. We have other people trolling, complaining toilets, saying that was worthless. We don't care about people in need. Did you not know that we gave $12,000 in diapers to people in need? Did we gave away gas that we want to reach people no one else is reaching. We've got to do things no one else is doing. Come to us, our meet the pastor. I'll explain to you why. And so as I end, yes, we exist to ignite a craving for Jesus by relentlessly loving our community. 
value generosity, uncommon relationships, endless growth, simplicity, an all-inclusive gospel message in captivating environments. And so you can either troll us or you can roll with us. And I pray that today more and more of you will start rolling with us. How will you respond?